What's going on everybody and welcome back, welcome back to the Bridging the Gap podcast. I hope you're all well, I'm great, thank you for asking. First things first, because I know you bloody love it. Oh, that was a slurpy one, that was a coffee, that is a black, that is Arpeggio Nespresso di Coffee. <laughs> that is my favourite coffee from Nespresso by the way guys. Um, I hope you're all well. I've had amazing time in Budapest, or should I say, as they say in Budapest, Budapest um, is a shht for the pest. Um, it is an amazing place. Anyone who's ever wanted to go to Budapest, go. It's. I was a bit hesitant as to where to go in Europe, and we put out some questions to people on Instagram where we should go. Um, and Budapest was, it was a really, really high up there, um, and we had a lot of other places we wanted to go. Uh, we did Prague earlier on, Rome, things like that. But it was honestly amazing. Um, the people were really nice. It was a really, really clean, clean city, which is I really, really enjoy. Um, you can just walk around. It's it's fresh. It's really, really safe. We walked around late at night. It was really safe. You didn't get that unsense of or who's behind you or anything like that. It was really nice. Could be my naivety, to be fair. Um, the culture was really nice. Some amazing, amazing buildings. And we kept saying to ourselves, me and my girlfriend, oh, I feel like we're in a new city right now, you know, because at some points it would feel like we're in the streets of Amsterdam. Sometimes it would feel like we were in Prague because we went to Prague and we can compare. And sometimes it just felt you were in, in, in London in like a big park, you know, and it, and it was such a different culture in different parts of the city because there's one side which is Buddha, one side which is Pest. Um, and it was amazing. It was really easy to walk around. Um, Google Maps works everywhere. The food was incredible. Lots of it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't necessarily loads of loads of Hungarian food, which there is. Um, we had some amazing Hungarian food when we were there, which was cool. Um, but a lot of it was just you know the best cuisines, the best foods. We had some amazing donuts. Um, and I actually did a full day of eating vlog, which I've wanted to do for for the last like six to eight weeks. I wanted to be a food vlogger, as I've been obsessing over food. Um, but we did a full day of eating, so it could be a um, a nice little trip thing for you guys to watch. Um, but we're here with a and a I thought it'd be good to do a full Q&A just so we can get a lot of answers out there um, for a lot of questions, um, which have probably been building up over time because I know how much you guys want to ask me questions. Um, and it's been about a week. I think, it's, I think it's exactly a week since I did last did a podcast, so let's do it. First question, how often should you change your training? Now, for me... I used to change my training every single session um, because I wanted to keep the body guessing, bro. Uh, we gotta trick the body. We gotta we gotta shock the body. Well, guess what? Your brain knows that you're gonna do something different before you even go in there, so you're not shocking anything. Your body doesn't go, "Oh, I didn't know this was coming," because you you've decided it. Your brain's decided it. It's not a shock. So what we actually need to consider here is 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 things like movement patterns, neurological connections to 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 exercises. Um, and actually building and forging those, say relationships, building those relationships between your brain and the exercise. We need to learn the motor patterns. You've got, if, you've ever, if you've ever been benching on a, on a bar for a long time and then you switch to dumbbells and you just find that you're super, super shaky, it's because your brain's not learned that movement pattern right there. And actually you're not reaping the rewards of that movement until you learn that pattern and you get stable in that pattern. Um, if you think you go into an inclined dumbbell press or whatever, you've got to think your rotator cuffs, your infraspinatus, supraspinatus, all those shoulder muscles are trying to keep you stable. And until they can keep you stable, you're not going to load that pec efficiently. So I would honestly wouldn't even think about changing your program for at least six weeks. 
um, in terms of exercise selection because we need a few weeks to build that neurological connection to the exercise um, to become efficient at the exercise to load the muscle we want to load at the uh, within the exercise and then once you've mastered the neurological connection and you feel good and you're progressing really well you'll see that you'll progress real well and then as soon as that starts to slow down and you think maybe i've built up a lot of fatigue here you, you can look to change your training for me it ends up being every 10 to 14 weeks maybe 16 weeks if i'm having a really really good run where i can run the same training program um, and, and just force that progressive overload over time because if you're constantly changing your training there's no way to monitor your progressive overload for example if you go in and you do incline dumbbell press first first exercise when you're fresh you're strongest and then the next session you come in and do it your third exercise there's no way that you're going to hit that same number that when you did it as your first exercise so you can't track that progressive overload it doesn't mean that you might not be progressively overloading the stimulus to the muscle you may well be but i would argue that it's not as efficient as actually knowing exactly what to progress um, so that's what i would do with changing your training uh, reverse dieting and post-cycle therapy um yeah, you can definitely be done. I think I personally think that it could be worth dropping to a, an initial cruise for eight to week eight eight or so weeks as you reverse. Excuse me, I don't yawn on podcasts. That's extremely rude. Sorry, because um, we've got to consider if you come off the day you compete of off off gear, you have no hormone within seven days, um, and then you've got no hormone, no thyroid. Um, you probably come off your fat burners, and you're eating more food. It's kind of a combination to just to get fat. So in my head, it make, don't take this advice. I'm actually going to say this right now. Don't take this advice. This is me just thinking out loud. In my head, it makes sense to maybe drop to a cruise for like six to eight weeks while you're reversing and trying to build your metabolism back up. Once that's in a good place, once body composition is back, once you're eating good and feeling good, then come off. Makes a little bit more sense for me. Um, but yeah, you're going to have to just be very, very meticulous as with any reverse diet because it can go one or two ways very, very quickly. Next question is about metabolic damage and how to recover it, recover from a, a long, long period of eating under eating. Um, so I'm going to throw this out there. Metabolic damage is not real. Um, we've kind of disproved it. It's not damage. It's actually what the metabolism is supposed to do. Metabolisms are adaptive. If we push food in every single day, up and up and up and up, there'll be a point where you adapt upwards. If we push food down, essentially what you're describing is a, is, is a bodybuilding prep, right? Obviously, it's not a prep because you just... You could be under eating for whatever reason. But the same thing happens. Your body will downregulate to a thousand calories if you eat that every single day and nothing will happen. Um, very, very similarly to the reverse diet, that is all you will do. You will creep in a little bit of food, you'll train a little bit harder. You'll creep in a bit more food, and then you're going to train a little bit harder again. Um, and you're going to match those energy demands and just keep drip feeding more energy in and more energy out. And you're gonna, and then before you know it, you're going to be eating 2,000 calories, but you're going to be expending a lot more. And then you're going to be in a good place metabolically. So what put you in that metabolic disorder or metabolic damage, we're going to call it for your question sake, but it's not metabolic damage, um, will get you out of it. So the opposite would make sense. Um, so yeah. Am I mentally prepared to lose the shreds? This was from George Osborne, my dude. Um, yes, yes. I think, I, I would say, you know, I, I obviously don't know how you feel, dude, but for, for everyone, I'm, I'm referring to George Osborne, by the way. Um, he, he asked this question. And I would assume that you're probably the same, dude. It's, it's very fucking hard to let go of the shreds because it's kind of been your identity for the last 
three or four months or whatever, um, and people are being, oh my god, you're so shredded, oh my god, this, oh my god, especially, especially George with his shots, like, he was shredded for weeks and weeks and weeks, and he was like a big topic for weeks and weeks, oh, you're, you're too lean, you're too lean, so it became this huge thing, and the same thing for me, you know, oh, Josh is going for his pro card, Josh is going, and it became this, like, buzz in the industry, you know, so the hardest part, I think, for someone like me and George is losing that buzz because we're in social media, because we're in coaching and, and all this kind of stuff. The hardest part is losing the buzz from other people, I think. But for me personally, and I don't know how it is for George, I, I'm done. Like, I'm done being lean. Um, it was six months of graft. I think his was even longer. Being that lean for that long, feeling just inhuman for that long and just being a shell for that long. Like, I know he had problems with his relationships. I know I had you know, some serious strains in my relationships that were completely new to us. Um, it's hard. It's hard for a couple. It's hard for yourself. It's hard to not feel normal. It's very, very tiring to not feel normal. It's very, very tiring to think about food um, and to do all this stuff. So I, I was very much at the point where, no, I'm done now. Personally, no, I'm done now. I'm good now. Let's 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 work towards the next goal because I know that my story is bigger than, than, than this year's goal and, and next year's goal and next year's goal. You know, my story... Um, is going to be much, much bigger for that. So for me, the hardest part is losing the buzz, um, but we've just got to create another buzz. But personally, for my own sake, I was done, and I'm, and I'm ready to get bigger just because it, it'd been a long old prep. I think, obviously, I'm using drugs as well. I was starting to feel those towards the end, and I'm still feeling them now, to be honest. Like, um, on the real, I've been having, like, real bad night sweats for the last 10 days, and I think it's just all the... The detoxifying that's happening while you sleep you get a lot of brain detoxifying done when you sleep lymphatic draining and i just wake up honestly like i've just come out of the bath and it's disgusting for the last 10 days it's been like that since i came off um came off my cycle but it t last night was the best night i've had so i'm hoping a few more nights and i'll be slowly back to normal um so yeah um Sex drive now that you're on a cruise. I can tell. I can tell the people that ask about the drugs don't know anything about the drugs because you still. My hormone is still high from my cycle. You, I think, I was on a high cycle for three months, four months. You know that doesn't just go in two days. Um, I'm still probably quite high. Um, but the most important thing that I noticed here in terms of sex drive was literally two days later it was back to normal, which is crazy. It will be different for someone natural because you don't have testosterone. Um, or it'd be really, really low testosterone, should I say, and my testosterone was obviously high still because I'm injecting it, but literally within two days, I was fucking bouncing up and down, and it just shows how much of sex drive is down to stress, and how much of the sex drive was down to what was going on in my life, because there were periods of time when I did get it back, like post-show, um, yeah, okay, I had a little bit more food, but post-show in, in Padova, I had a little bit of a tickle post-show because maybe because of the relaxing, I knew I only had five, I had five weeks left, I could relax for a few days, but as soon as it started to ramp up again in terms of um, getting more serious, knuckling down, it, it went away again, um, and, I, and I really think that a lot of it is just stress, so the moment the stress was gone, and I really, really like had a massive sigh of relief when I came off that stage, like not a sigh of re relief, but a sigh of like, okay then stress over let's fucking let's relax you know and, and honestly the next couple of days it was back it was back to normal which is pretty good and i've been been deep i, I say normal but it feels normal i've probably got more in the more in the bag but um yeah i'm feeling good right now the next question kind of ties a little bit into um sort of what i was saying about george earlier um, it's like prep is great for content but what's next 
um, and I was talking about the story, and, and, and I think that is the key to the social media game, is, is constantly telling the story. I think about how many people wanted me to get that pro card, and how many people were just so nice with the comments and just saying, you're going to get it next time, and this and that. Those same people, when they come back, when I get that pro card, like they'll feel like they're part of that journey, you know, and, and, and I feel like, I almost feel like failing to get my pro card this year tells a better story than getting it in my first year of of using using anabolics and going for the pro card. If that makes sense, um, Amy Amy's Amy's dad he's a he's a he's a great father figure, um, and he's really really wise. And, and and I email him every now and again, and and, and he and he messaged me and he said. Um, the hero is not the guy who gets it first up. You know, the hero is the one who falls down and gets up and falls down and gets up and falls down and gets up again. And you know what? It's the, the hero is the one who gets knocked down a thousand times, but at the end of the day, he stood there at the top of the at the top of the mountain with the scars, the 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 the, the blood, the the, the sacrifice. Um, and it'll be all worth it in the end, and it'll tell a better story than if I'd got it in my first year of, of going for it. Um, so that's what I'm going to try and tell, and that's what I'm going to try and explain. I mean, obviously with bodybuilding, you can tell stories. For example, this is the reverse diet. You know, this is the lean bulk. This is the gaining phase. This is the how to gain muscle phase. So obviously, a lot of my content will switch towards gaining muscle and and, and this and that. So. It's just about telling a story within the bigger picture, you know. There's 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 a hundred stories within my long story. If my if my life is my long story, I've just got to tell those little stories in the next step across the way. And I think that is the way to kind of drive interaction. And and you know, and 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 if I look at these top guys, you know, for example, Guzman, his his content wasn't necessarily. It was initially around summer shredding. Um, and it still is around summer shredding is like his main body but then also he was telling the story of how he was building his gym how he was building his businesses how he was building his clothing brand and and, and I guess that'll be something that I go down um, further on you know as I talk about businesses I talk about opening up different businesses and ideas and I, and I guess those would be the stories that I tell and I'd like to think that people tune into me more for more than just watching me get shredded but reality is it'll probably drop off a little bit and that's part of it um, Clennon, your himbine, can you run it into the show? So your himbine will hold water. I would drop that out uh, a week out, 10 days out probably. Um, if you're lean enough, I would just drop the out. Drop the, oh no, not if you're lean enough. I would just drop that out a week to 10 days out. Um, Clen, you can run straight through. Um, in fact, it probably if, if things are pretty decent every single day, I probably would err on the side of not changing anything. Because as soon as we start to change things, especially with things that can affect electrolytes, can affect your hydration, can affect your cellular uptake of carbohydrates like clenbuterol, it would make more sense just to keep things as is and not change things in the last week. I know that if you dropped a load of clen out and you'd been on fairly high dose, your potassium levels would might, might really bump up, which means you'd have to compensate with sodium and water. And it would be a bit more complicated. It might be fine. It probably would be fine. But I like to just keep things fairly similar. But you're him buying. Um, I would drop out. If you could bring back one person from the dead, who would it be? It is a really, really, really hard question. I'm thing is, I'm not huge into history. I always hated history. Didn't really care about history. I always loved the future and the idea of technology and more stuff and more this and more that, you know, and where we were going to go rather rather than where we had been. 
Um, but I think it would be really, really cool to talk to some business mogul, you know, like uh, Steve Jobs or something like that, and just see his mindset behind everything and, and how his brain works and and things like that. But, you know, I'd want to talk to Elon Musk and people like that, but they're not dead yet, obviously. But, yeah, I would say Steve Jobs. I think that would be an amazing person to talk to. Um, I'd love to know the story behind all that stuff. It would be unreal. Um, Jeff Nippard. What are your thoughts on Jeff Nippard and his videos? I love him. I think he's really, really good. He breaks down things right. He is never afraid to be wrong. Um, he uses the most latest research and his editing and content production is high. So, I'm a fan. Did anyone in your life express negativity towards my use of steroids? Yes, uh, my dad did. Um, when I told him I'd started steroids, or in fact, he'd always said, oh, you don't want to be a fucking meathead, you don't want to be this. He's a bit of a narrow-minded man, I would say. Um, and, and, and he didn't, re didn't really want to understand it. He just saw bodybuilding, oh, you just want to look good for people, you know? Uh, and oh, you know, He was an army lad, so you can imagine, oh, you're just fucking gay, bro. You know, unfortunately, that's the mentality of, of of our parents and probably our grandparents as well. Probably lesser our parents, but more grandparents. And depending how our parents were brought up, them as well. My mum's way, way, way more open minded and, and amazing about this stuff. But yeah, he was pretty close minded. Doesn't talk about it. Didn't tell it like when I talked about like when we did talk about it. And I told him exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and. I, honestly, like, I, I'm fucking 25 years old. Like, no one's telling me what to do anymore, you know? Like, until, like, when, as soon as I became self-sufficient, like, you don't get to tell me what to do anymore. <laughs> Unfortunately for him. Um, he, he was fine with me talking about it, but when when I went over to go see him, I, I talked to his wife or whatever. She goes, oh, how's it going? Oh, you're not taking those steroids yet. And this was, like, months after I was taking them already, and I thought, oh, okay, so you've not told him. Because if you, if you were, if you were, if your son was taking steroids and you were married to someone, you would tell the person you're married to, right? Unless you were ashamed of it. So, obviously, <laughs> that's horrible, isn't it? So, obviously, my dad was a little bit ashamed of it, you know? And, 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 and he didn't ask about it in, in front of her, and I kind of thought, well, that's a bit weird. And then as soon as she started talking about it, he just kind of went quiet and embarrassed and didn't want to talk about it, so... That was negativity. It wasn't overt negativity. It was more indirect negativity. Um, but that hurt a lot. That really, really hurt a lot. I've not really told him that. He doesn't listen to my podcast, so it doesn't really matter. But oh, that's quite savage, isn't it? Fuck, I feel like I'm going to cry. Um, so, yeah, like, um, yeah, my dad definitely pushed back. But from naivety, from narrow-mindedness. So I, I could rationalize it and, and just deal with it, to be honest. Uh, pros and cons of fats before a workout. Um, so I wouldn't say there's like cons or pros really. There are just things that fats do. Um, so we know that fats can slow the digestion of carbohydrates. So let's say you're going to train in three hours and you ate and you wanted to slow that digestion down. You could throw some fats in. Um, if you were going to train earlier, you could reduce those fats. We know that fats um, will store intramuscularly in the form of triglycerides. So if you are on a low fat diet, having some some fats before a workout can help with the intramuscular triglyceride pump. Um, but yeah, it's not going to be like a, you should have this much before because it's going to do this for you. Or you shouldn't have fats here because it's going to do that. It, it doesn't really make a huge difference as long as you feel good and you're fueling your session well with carbohydrates. I would say you're pretty decent and, and not to worry too much um, about where you're putting your fats. Um, just split them evenly over the day, in my opinion. Um, while cruising, will I need an AI? 
Um, so the way I've uh, AI, for those people who don't know, is an aromatase inhibitor. We know that if we inject testosterone, exogenous testosterone, above what we're... In fact, testosterone in general will aromatize, and that is essentially the conversion of testosterone to estrogen to keep the balance in check. If you go to a supraphysiological range of testosterone, you obviously supraphysiologically aromatase, therefore you would convert more into estrogen. But there are things that we can do... Uh, there are other anabolic compounds that we can use to mitigate the estrogenic conversion um, which are technically on paper better for you nothing is good for you when you're taking steroids fyi um, but better than ai's ai's are savage on your insulin panel they're savage on your cholesterol they're just not there's something that you want to try and avoid wherever you can from what i've read um so I'd, i would i'm just using another compound i've talked about it a little bit i don't want to go into specifics but i'm using another compound um to balance it masteron i'll just say it um, so I will just match my test and master on dose, and then I'm going to monitor my blood pressure. I'm going to get my bloods done in six weeks, and I'll see where my estrogen is. If I do feel my blood pressure rise, that's my that's my general sign that my estrogen's rising. If I get any sensitive nipples or anything like that, then I will maybe regulate with an aromatized inhibitor, or I can bring my masteron up a little bit. Um, but it's super, super low. Like, it's really, really low at the moment. Um, I'm trying to put myself into a natural range, so... I don't think I'm going to need an AI, no, because when you're when you're natural, you don't need an AI. So if I'm putting myself in a natural range, I should be aromatizing like a natural person. I shouldn't need it, um, and and actually my 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 aromatase is always normally in a good place anyway. Um, what cardio should you do to maximize muscle retention or yeah muscle retention? Um, so when it comes to choosing a cardio, it, it doesn't matter what cardio it is personally i don't think it does what actually matters is the impact that cardio has on your training because in from what the way i can see it there's 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 two or three main factors that will determine how much muscle you keep how well you can keep training how well you can keep recovering and just maintaining your your protein intake and your diet um, so if you're gonna do something that affects one of those three things then i think you probably need to look at what cardio you're doing. For example, if you are doing um, 45 minutes on the Stairmaster, if you compared that 45 minutes on the Stairmaster to a 45-minute incline walk, you can imagine that the Stairmaster will fuck you up a bit more. If you did 20 minutes of sprints on the bike versus 20 minutes of, you know, lists on the bike you can imagine you're going to get a bigger pump more muscular damage from from the hit so it doesn't mean that hit is wrong it doesn't mean that list is wrong it just means that which one can you recover from in order to be able to perform in the gym exercise wise to the maximum of your ability is doing those sprints in the morning on the bike going to take away from your leg session later on is doing 45 minutes of cardio going to take away from your push session later on? Yes, it probably will eventually, but your job is to minimize that effect. So, you know, that's when we come into fasted cardio. So I'd go do my fasted cardio at 9 a.m. And then I'm not training till 4 p.m. because I've got a good time to recover. I've got some food in between to maximize my training window. Um, so you really just need to determine which cardio is having a, the biggest impact on your training ability and pick the one that has the least impact and the most caloric output. So it's really just a balancing act of how well can you perform and recover and not doing things that you can that will compromise those. 
for example, I was doing Stairmaster until my first comp because I wanted the hardest one because I needed the hardest one um, and I needed to get the fat off. But once it was off, I could switch that to a to something that was had a little bit less impact. And because maybe I was burning 100 less calories on the less impact, I could then put those 100 extra calories of energy into re retaining my numbers in the gym and into staying strong in the gym, which then increases my chances of retaining muscle, if that makes sense. So it's not about what the cardio is, it's about how you react to it and how well you can recover from it in order to maximize your performance and keep your recovery and protein in, in, in a good place. So I hope that makes sense. Do you need to squat and deadlift for huge legs? No, I have not squatted, deadlift or bench pressed. Everyone keeps asking these questions. Why don't you bench press? Why don't you squat? Because the risk to reward injury of those big movements is just not what I need to go through. Like the weights that I'm lifting, the weights that big boys are lifting now, you know, fucking, who wants to be squatting 300 kilos when you could just put that on a leg press in a nice safe cushion and, and, and keep it in a fixed plane of motion so your legs can't fire everywhere. So there's no, if you think you've got a 300 kilo bar on your back, yeah, you could fold left, you could fold right, you can fold forward, you can fold back. You need to keep your core tight, your hips, knees, ankles all need to sink at the same time. There's just a lot more going on than, say, like a fixed hack squat machine when you can put the same amount of pressure into your quads. Bodybuilding is not about how much weight you move, it's about how much volume and muscular damage you can deliver to a muscle. So I would argue you can deliver more damage to your quads in a low foot placement pendulum squat than you can in a normal squat and it's safer because you're in a machine and you can drop the weight whenever you want to and you can just flip that weight over really easy without having 200 kilo plus in your back doesn't mean that you won't get big legs when you squat no you fucking will get big legs if you can squat i just don't think everyone's built to squat and i think a lot of people put themselves at risk trying to squat um, and deadlift and all this kind of stuff. This doesn't mean I'm not going to squat ever again. I'm definitely going to squat again. I'm definitely going to do these things again. Just for right now, my risk to reward ratio um, is in favor of other machines. Um, and, and that's something that I think a lot of people need to consider because people get married to ideas and, and, and movements and, oh my God, you don't bench? But everyone benches, bro. Yeah, no, they don't, and you don't need to. I've not benched in two years, and I've still got a bigger chest than you. So, um, think about think about exercises. Which one do you connect to the most? Which one do you connect to the most? Feel the safest and the most stable. That's the one for you. You know. Whereas I do a thirty degree low incline uh, press. Some people do a forty degree, and they're much better off. You know, it's about where your sternum sits, where your clavicle sits, where your elbows come down. It, it, it's just if you're on a fixed bar bench pressing, you know, you've only got one plane of motion. If you go to dumbbells, you can move in three dimensionals and left and right, and it can help your shoulder girdle way more. You know, so it makes sense to have a little bit of flexibility around these around these movements. Coming on to our final few questions. Oh, it's only 26 minutes in. Maybe we can throw in a few more. Um, how much size do I think I need to get for my pro card? So, this is a hard one. I don't think I was very far off. I honestly believe that to the two bros weekend could have gone one or two ways. Um, maybe if there was a nicer judge towards me. Maybe I could have won and he won the pro card. So, maybe I could have won the pro card. So, I don't actually think... I'm that far off in terms of getting my pro card for size. I definitely need more size. But my thought process is, why would I 
come back and just be like just good enough to get a pro card to then have to go away for another year to be able to compete with the pros it doesn't doesn't make sense so for me when i when i see this question how much size for you to get my pro card what i'm reading this is as how much size do i need to be competitive as a pro and i would say another six another six or seven kilos on my stage weight so another stone on my stage weight if i could float around 95 kilos on stage I think I'd be very, very competitive. If I could stick all that weight into my arms, my delts and my back and my chest, I think I'd be very, very competitive as a pro. And that's how I've got to think right now. I don't want to think, oh, what do I need to get a pro? Because what happens when you get pro? I've already got to be thinking about the next step. I don't want to be taking these these short-term satisfaction. I have the bloody doors here. Hang on. I swear that happens so often. Um, I don't want to be making these decisions based off short-term satisfaction, right? So right now, what I could do is, is I could go into an off-season right now, blast it until December, January, you know, sacrifice a bit of health, come back and, and, and do the same thing next year and, you know, have like a three to four month bulk. I'm on gear, so I can definitely put on a couple kilos and I could come back and be maybe get my pro card, maybe get my pro card, you know, go through the same process of maybe getting my pro card. Or I can do what I'm doing right now and what I've planned, and it's to take the full year off, come back undeniably at pro level, get a pro card, but know that I'm coming for the pro card rather than be like, you know, all of this year I kind of had in the back of my head, I knew I was going to be a bit smaller. And, and that was that was the problem, you know. I don't want to come to these pro shows and be like, fuck, he looks big, fuck, he looks good. I want to come there and be like, look, nah, I'm, I'm here to show up, I'm here to party. Like, it may not be my day, I may not get it, but like, I'm, I'm here to show up and I'm here to, you know, compete with these big guys. And that's where I want to take that full year off. Come Like, in my head, what I want to do is just take the full year off in December or January, uh, sorry, in December 2020, maybe start to begin a prep for March or April in 2021. Um, and then there's like pro, there's kind of pro qualifier after pro qualifier pretty much every weekend from like April till June. And then, and then, then hopefully by then I've got the pro card. I would then compete for the, for the, for a, in a pro show to try and get into the Olympia for that September. And because I'd already taken the, the the two years off, I should have enough muscle to be, well, in my head, I should have enough muscle to compete at the high level. And that's what I'd be aiming for here. So, so I'm very much playing for the long game. I could very much try and compete next year. And then, yeah, cool, I get my pro card. But then guess what? I've got to just go and take another year out anyway to try and get big enough to compete as a pro. I'm just kind of skipping that middle stone and, and coming straight in for the pro card and going straight in for the Olympia, if that makes sense. That's the goal. I want to dream big. I want to play the long game because I know that the long game plays off and, and I know that the long game is the only game that you should be playing in bodybuilding because there isn't a fucking short game. If there was a short game, everyone would be the best bodybuilder in the world. But actually, the best bodybuilders are the ones who've been doing it the longest or they're in the 0.0001% genetics. And that's the way it is. So I'm very much thinking long term. So I would say six, seven kilos to get my pro card. I would say three or four kilos to get my pro card. Six or seven kilos to be pro standard. I'm going for the six or seven. I'm skipping, skipping a little bit. Um, this is a good question. It was very much, it was based around R&R, &R, so reps in reserve, 
training to failure, but relating it to training age and how you should train as a beginner, intermediate, and an expert. So, in my opinion, this is how you should be training as a beginner, intermediate, and expert. And then we're going to finish it there. Maybe I'll finish with a story time if I don't rant on too much. So, first of all, beginners, right here, your entire focus should be about skill acquisition. You don't have, you've not learned how to bench press. You've not learned how to incline fly as good as me. You're not as good as an intermediate at any of these skills. So you don't have the right or, or in fact, the ability to just start going crazy to failure and pushing these numbers because you've not learned how to do these things safely and efficiently and directing these movements to the muscles that we're trying to grow. So the first year, at least, you should be running a full body or an upper body program with three to four sets with three to four different rep ranges and staying three to four reps away from failure and just learning how to perform the movement safely, learning how to just work out your intensity, learning how well and how hard you can push yourself. And then as you go through the process, that reps in reserve that you can leave will slowly become less. So maybe the second year you get to two or three reps in reserve, the third year you get to one or two reps in reserve, and then you can just obviously play with however many reps in reserve. And I, I expect by year three you already understand programming and manipulating your, your training volume and stuff, so then you can not worry about reps in reserve and stuff, you can program. But start off full body, upper lower, train things lots of times very very high frequency because we know that doing things more often will let you will help you learn them quicker um, and then as you develop your skills as you get be able to transfer the skills for example i know how to bench press right i could be i could you could stick me on any press machine in the world and it will probably feel quite normal to me but if I've got a beginner who's been bench pressing and I stick him on a machine press, that's going to feel alien to him because he's only been doing it for six months. But until you've you know acquired what a press is and acquired what a pull is and, acqui and acquired the skills to execute them properly, you don't have a right to kind of push towards failure or anything like that. But once you've mastered it, then you can start pushing to failure. You can learn where your boundaries are because you need to find the boundaries in order to come back from the boundary in my opinion i don't know how someone can program someone you need to train to eight out of ten failure if you've never been to 10 out of 10 failure right so that first year don't worry about it then start finding your failure then you can worry about programming r and r and all that kind of stuff um and then as you work through the splits you're going to need more volume. You're going to adapt to that full body split. You're going to adapt to that upper lower split. And then you're going to need a push-pull legs. And then maybe you're going to need, you know, uh, pushing arms. Or then you're going to need back and biceps. And you're going to need to pair these things together so that you can put more volume into them. If you take a full body session versus a pull session, you know that in the pull session, you're going to hit a lot more volume than you are in the full body session for your back. But you don't need that volume when you first start. You, in fact, want the least amount of volume that you can possibly get away with and grow. Always, always look towards the minimum effective dose for something because you need to go up, you know. You need to go up, so start at the bottom. Don't start at the top because you can't go up anymore. 
So instead, as soon as your body starts to require more volume as it goes through the process, uh, maybe your sessions get a little bit longer, but you need a bit more to progress, then you would start splitting the sessions down and putting more volume into these areas. Um, you can go into your push-pull legs and your other bro splits. Um, but it has to be a process of, of learning the skill, earning the right, and then going from there. So I hope that makes sense. Um, final question. No, sorry. Um, that's it. Question's done. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with a little bit of a story. It's not a very nice story. It's about the time I got attacked because someone asked me this question. Um, can you talk about the times you got attacked? I'm only going to talk about one of them um, and then maybe I'll save the other ones for another time. But it was pretty fucking horrible. So I lived in Bethnal Green in London. Um, if you guys know Bethnal Green, it's, it's, it's not a nice area. It's a predominantly... Asian area, so you can imagine what a six foot one ginger dude looks like walking through Bethnal High Street. Um, I don't know what it was about me. I, I just looked like a foreigner, I looked like a noob, apparently, um, and and people love to to attack me for it. But I remember one time I was walking back from work. I'd finished the seven thirty shift, so it wasn't even that late, seven thirty p.m. I don't even think it was dark yet, which was the scariest thing. And I walked back the same road that I walked back every single day, which was even worse. You know, getting attacked on your way back from home on that same street that you walk. I was on the phone to my mum, which is even worse. This whole fucking thing just gets worse. I was on the phone to my mum. Uh, minding my own business, a guy comes up to me um, as I'm walking down the street. He's walking the other way. He goes, oh, bro, have you got any, have you got any change? I'm like, sorry, man, I've just finished work. I don't even have my wallet on me. And he just, he literally just looked at me and said, people like you are fucking this and that. And I'm just like, okay, bro, I'm sorry. Uh, and my mum's going, what's happening? What's happening on the phone? I'm like, sorry, mum, hang on. And he goes, oh, you're on the phone to your mum? And he like grabs my phone. I, I, I obviously still held the phone, but he grabbed my phone and he's like trying to pull it towards his mouth and he's shouting at his, shouting down the phone. Hello, mumsy. Hello, mumsy. I'm going to take you, I'm going to take your son's money, money, uh, mumsy and all this stuff. I like... I like yanked the phone off him, not aggressive. I, well, it probably came over aggressively, but I yanked the phone away. I then put my arm kind of like around his left shoulder, just to kind of not move him out the way, but just to kind of shimmy around the side of him because he was in front of me. I'm, I'm doing the shimmy as, as I'm talking about this, so you can imagine. So my right hand comes out across his his right shoulder. He's directly in front of me. I step to my left. I'm trying to push him to the right. And he just took that as like combat. <laughs> and he just literally just fucking went mental. Started swinging at my head. He hit me in the back of the head. At this point, I'm like, I don't need to fight people. Like, I'm six foot one. This guy was a skinny cracker. I could have absolutely battered him. But in my head, I'm like, he might have a gun. He might have uh, something to stab me with. He's got nothing to lose. I don't need to fight people. I don't like fighting people. I'm the least, I'm quite aggressive, but I'm, I'm the least like, I'm not going to fight anyone. I don't I need to do that. I can kill people, you know? Like people go to prison for just hitting someone accidentally and they hit the head. I don't want to do that. I don't want my freedom taken away from me. I don't need to fight people. Even if I'm drunk, even if someone's completely disrespecting me, I don't fight people, you know? If they slap my girlfriend, if they do something that's going to directly hurt my family, I will tear that motherfucker's juggler out. But that wasn't happening. It was just me. So I kind of stepped around. I didn't even like push him hard. Just kind of like tried to shimmy around. He banged me in the back of the head. If my eyes started going funny, my mum's screaming down the phone saying, "Run, Josh, run!" 
and I'm just like, oh, this is not what I need to be doing right now. He kind of grabbed my shirt to pull me back, so I turned around and just Hadouken chest pushed him, just two hands to the chest. At this point, I'm like 100 kilos. I'm pretty fucking strong. I was natty, though, so didn't count. Good job I wasn't on gear. He would have been in Spain when I pushed him. I pushed him, and he must have gone about literally like eight feet away and like just bumped into a car like, uh, like a parked car he literally like eight feet i just he grabbed me pulled me i turned around and i just lunged and pushed him bang in the chest and as i pushed him in the chest i like bolted the other direction and just ran and then as i kind of turned around to see if he was running after me he was just like sat on the floor like eight feet away from where i pushed him and he was just like screaming and he he was getting up to try and run after me but motherfucker you weren't catching me i was gone I was gone, um, and it was it was horrendous. It was horrendous just because like it was the same walk that I did every single day, and every single day from then on, the moment I walked onto that street, no matter what time of the day it was, I just thought, ah, oh, it's this street. Took my headphones out, took my hood down, constantly looking around. I couldn't, you know, when it was freezing cold, I couldn't wear a hat because I wanted to hear. I could never wear headphones in London because I wanted to hear who was behind me. Oh, it was fucking hectic, and it just, like, properly... I just couldn't walk around London anymore because without being super hyper-vigilant, it wasn't too bad in the centre and the busy areas, like, down Brick Lane and stuff. This was literally just off Brick Lane. But when I'm walking back through Bethnal Green and when I wanted to go to Tesco at, like, 10pm, you know, I'm dying for food or I've forgotten something, um, I had to go with my housemates every time because I was just like, bro, like, I've got to go into that bridge. I've got to go into that bridge. Just come with me, bro, please. My, my housemate was... was uh, was a fighter, he's an MMA and jiu-jitsu, so I was like, okay, cool, um, but it was horrible, it was honestly horrible, and it, and it, it was one of three times that I got attacked, I don't know what, no, that wasn't even the worst one, um, but there you go, don't go down Bethnal Green, I'm trying to think of the name of the road, um, but it's literally one road adjacent off, um, Bethnal Green, uh, um, off Brick Lane, if you guys know Brick Lane, it's the leather shop, if you go to the leather shop that's just down from Bagel Bake and you take the right down the leather shop road, it was that road um, up down towards Bethnal Green Park. Horrible. Be careful out there, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to drop a drop a, a rating. I'm trying to get on the fitness, um, on the fitness, whatever it's called, category. See if I can work my way up there. Appreciate you guys. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. I'll see you guys soon. Peace, everybody.